You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. So there was a, uh, a certain person uh, really felt compelled in this culture right now of negativity and anger and frustration. Uh, they felt like they could create this social media post that would impact their friends and their family in a really positive way. So they drafted the social media post and they posted it. And the first person, their first friend saw it. They saw the post, uh, but they decided, I'm not even going to read that thing. I'm going to swipe right by it. A second person saw the post. So they, they saw it. They did read it, and it impacted them in an incredible way. So they, they liked it, and then they decided to share it with their friends. Um, but then they started getting some negative feedback. You know how it goes with negative comments, negative feedback, and they felt kind of embarrassed, didn't want to stick out, so they decided to unlike it, and then just they deleted the post. It vanished. A third person saw the social media post. They saw it. It impacted them, so they liked it, and they shared it with their friends. But then in their feed, there were some things that were the exact opposite of that really positive post. And they liked that too. And they shared that. Then they saw another thing that was the opposite. I mean, seriously, they liked that too? They liked that too. And they shared that. And then they liked and shared and liked and shared and liked and shared. And pretty soon the good post was like buried under all the negativity they also seemed to like. But a fourth person saw the post. And that person was impacted. They liked it. And they shared it with their friends. And one of their friends actually came across the post, so they read it, and it impacted their heart. So they liked it. And they shared it with their friends. And another person liked it. Shared it with their friends. Another person liked it. Shared it with their friends. And they liked and liked and shared. It was a topic that's seriously trending. And I hope you guys, hope you guys just heard what I said. Great message. So if you're new to grace, (laughs) your head's on a swivel right now going, is this weird to anybody else but me around here? Like, what just happened? I came to church to hear a message, and he's just talking about social media posts. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus was in his ministry. He was teaching in a very clear way. The Sermon on the Mount could not be more clear. And then, abruptly, without warning... Jesus totally changed his teaching style. It caught his disciples off guard. It caught the people hearing him off guard. Is that even a Bible message that we just heard? He was starting to teach in parables. And so we're in a brand new series called Hidden Truth. In the series Hidden Truth, there is hidden truth buried in parables that Jesus abruptly and without warning caused people to think, that was weird. I came to hear a message. Heard a little story, and he walked away. That was how it felt 
2,000 years ago. And so this week, we're gonna, uh, it's three weeks. We're going to kick off a series of parables and unpack them. Uh, but this week, we're going to see the real reason Jesus taught parables. There is a commonly shared reason that Jesus taught parables that is partially true. But when you read his actual words, you're going to find, well, there's another more important reason that Jesus began teaching in these weird story form called parables. And then we're going to come back to what's called the parable of the sower, which I just taught, a modern version, the parable of the social media poster. There are four different types of responses. Uh, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit of God, please, God, would you reveal to each one of us? Maybe you're at Olathe or North Overland Park campus or at South with us. Maybe you're online. There's only four types of hearts, four types of scenarios. And we're going to ask the Holy Spirit of God, please, please, please reveal to you and to me which heart we are. So let's pray and we'll dive in. God, I pray that you would, um, that you would by your Holy Spirit, speak to us prompt us in the unique way that we each are wired differently to receive communication from you. And I pray you'd also reveal to us um, what parables are really for, like why Jesus actually began to teach in parables. This larger truth there, and then to, and then to bring, bring it down to us, each one of us, what is the state of our heart toward you, Jesus, to your word? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go back in time to where Jesus first started using parables in his ministry. It was at the Sea of Galilee. So here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is located in the north area of the Holy Land or Israel. If you ever go on a trip with me or one of our teams, this is where Jesus did most of his three and a half years of ministry. Most of it was in the north. Area of Galilee, these, these areas, these cities around this. And the Sea of Galilee is basically like a lake. It's a big lake. It's eight miles wide, 13 miles tall. Uh, and then Jesus tells this particular story on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. So here's the north shore. This is a rocky shore as it would have been in Jesus' day. We are together looking south, the 13 miles south. Behind us is the city of Capernaum. Capernaum is where Peter and Andrew lived yeah, as fishermen. They would fish in this very lake. The, Capernaum is where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. So he was married, mother-in-law right there. This Capernaum is where Jesus taught in the synagogue and cast a demon out of somebody who nobody thought was demon-possessed because he was a worshiper and respectable in their culture. And so Jesus is like symbolically sitting in a house. Don't miss this. He's sitting in a house. Israel is called the house of Israel. And he's sitting in a physical house. They're the house of Israel. And so his ministry is blowing up. It's amazing. His own family holds an intervention, tries to get to him by getting there because they think he's kind of lost it. Like, can you come back home to the carpentry business? What is going on? And then uh, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, accuse him in this house of doing miracles by the power of Satan. Well, you're just casting satanic powers in your life. As a response to the Jewish leaders, he stands up, he leaves the house, metaphorically the house of Israel. He walks down, to this, down this rocky shore, he finds a boat that's tied up on the shore. He sits down, as every Jewish rabbi would sit. No Jewish rabbi taught standing. In Jewish synagogues, even around the world to this day, they sit. He sat in the boat and began speaking. And they're all ready to hear it. And he says, I'd like to talk to you about gardening. <laughs> gardening tips? 
And so that's what happens. So it starts in verse, thir- uh, verse 3. Matthew, join me there. We're going to be in the Matthew 13 version, Matthew 13, verse 3. And here's what he says. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, a planter went out to plant, a farmer went out to farm, a social media poster went out to post on social media. And he talked about four different types of responses. The first type, the, the seed vanishes. It disappears because of birds. And let me just say, um, that is an awesome photo. So if you're at South OP, I, I found this photo, and I'm looking through bird beaks this week for a good photo. I found this one. Can we put it on the, on the bigger screen here? Yes! That is awesome! And if you have a fear of birds, if you have ornithophobia, I am so sorry. Close your eyes. We'll be back with you in a minute. We'll let you know when the bird is gone. But so here's the, the first scenario. The sower goes out to plant, throws seeds out, but there's, don't miss this. It's the one of the four that there's no life. The plant doesn't, or there's no plant, there's no life. Birds devour the seed and it's gone. And so that's what Jesus says. The first part in verse 4 says, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, on the roadside, and the birds came and devoured them. So the first seed just disappears and vanishes. Uh, second one is on stony ground. And so on stony ground, I kind of picture, you know, like our driveways or sidewalks where some dirt starts to accumulate. And there's actual life. This is actual life, but it, because of the rocks underneath, it's just super shallow. No depth. And so when the sun comes up with this super shallow root, it doesn't have the depth to sustain the heat, and it just wilts, it withers. That's what Jesus said in the next two verses, verse 5 and 6. It says, some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up like legitimate life because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. That's the second type, the stony ground. The third type is thorny ground. And so this, this scenario, there's an actual plant, a living plant. Life is there. But there's also these other plants growing around it, competing for resources. Competing for the sun, competing for the water, competing for the food, competing for the airspace. And so literally, these other plants are choking the life out of the real plant. That's what you see. In verse 7, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. That's the third type, the thorny ground. The fourth type is the fruitful ground. So if the seed can be there long enough to bring forth life, if there could be enough depth that when the heat is there, you won't wither, if the farmer aggressively takes the weed whacker to these weeds and rips out these other plants that are competing for resources, the result will be fruitfulness. Whether it's 30 times or 60 times or 100 times, you're going to have fruit there. And that's what he says in verse 8. He says, but others fell on good ground and yielded a crop. Some 100-fold, some 60, some 30. And then Jesus says, he's sitting in a boat. The crowd's like, what's happening? And he says, verse 9, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Which is why earlier I said, you know, I hope you guys heard what I said. So in this moment, by the way, the disciples are freaking out. Because there's a movement of God. God is moving. And Jesus totally changed his teaching style. 
and he must have missed sermon review because they would have talked him off the ledge. And so they're, they're like looking around like, why is he teaching about gardening? Because before it was super clear. When he taught the Sermon on the Mount, incredibly clear. He says, blessed are you when people persecute you and criticize you for God's sake. Because the prophets, be happy about that. The prophets had the same thing. Very clear. If you look on a person to lust after them, already you have committed adultery with them in your heart. Very clear. You cannot, you cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. Very clear. And now, gardening tips from Jesus. And so, the disciples hold this private intervention with him. They go to him privately and say, what are you thinking? Verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? How could you do this? Um, now, the traditional teaching about parables, most common teaching, at least I hear, is that parables were designed to reveal truth. Parables are these story forms to reveal truth. And that's certainly true, but that is not what Jesus said. That's not, not why he started. He was sitting in the house. Metaphorically, there's the house of Israel. He metaphorically leaves the house. He goes down and starts teaching in a mystery form. Called, these stories called parables. The reason Jesus says he started teaching parables is this. Jesus also told parables to hide truth. He started teaching in stories, yes, to reveal truth to his followers, but to hide the truth from those who had rejected him. You want to reject me and my kingdom? You know what? I'm going to speak in ways that you have no idea what's going on because you closed your eyes. That's what he says in verse 11. Look what he says in verse 11. He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you, my followers, those with an open heart, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, the haters, the rejecters, the ones that don't, don't get it, blinded, to them it has not been given. For whoever has, or sorry, verse 13, verse 13. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see. Hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Verse 14. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. Verse 15. For the hearts of this people, four types of hearts, the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should hear with their eyes and uh, see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Let's just understand with their hearts in turn. So I should heal them. Verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. So Jesus when he explains to his apostles, yes, there's teaching going on, but the real reason he started to use them was to hide truth from those who close their eyes, close their heart to him. And this is not unprecedented. You might write down like Ezekiel 14 and read it. So Ezekiel 14, read it later. It's the story where God goes to Ezekiel and asks Ezekiel a question. He says, Ezekiel, when people set up their idols in their heart, an idol is anything in your life more important than God. If God is not first... What is first is your idol. If they set their idols in their heart first, then they come to the prophet and say, would you please tell me what God says? But they've got their decision made already. Should I be inquired by them? I will give them an answer according to the idols in their heart. It's very similar, by the way, to when someone decides what they want to believe. I believe this. Now, I'm going to go to the Bible, try to find it. You can find a verse that supports what you said you already wanted to believe. 
It's setting your idols first, not being open-handed and coming to God. And that's what the origin of parables were for. It's pretty wild. God, design, God looks at the state of the heart. And he says, I'll give you more or I'll take away what you already have based on the state of your heart. So let's go to the more, that's the larger story of parables. Let's go to our hearts now. Here's the question. Which of these four best describes your heart? There's only four options. Which best describes your heart? The first scenario uh, is the heart that says, I don't believe yet. I don't believe yet. And we know that because the, the seed actually gets to the heart, but it never brings forth life. Which means, by the way, these are people hearing, hearing the word of God. Jesus says the, word, the seed is a picture of the word. These are actually people who are churchgoers, in, including churchgoers, who are hearing the word on a regular basis. Or they hear it, they're not churchgoers, on a periodic basis they get a hold of the gospel. And it goes in there and they, it doesn't bring forth life. And the, the word that's in there gets taken away spiritually. It vanishes. It says this in verse, uh, when Jesus explains it in verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, spiritually blinded or rejecting, then the wicked one, Satan or his demons, comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. It vanishes. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. This was the social media poster. Remember that post came out, the person saw it, didn't even read it, scrolled by it. It just got buried, vanished under all the other posts they're scrolling through. Now, I would say this. We are counseled. You can write down 2 Corinthians 13. That's like verses 1 through 4. 2 Corinthians 13 tells us to examine from time to time, are you really a believer? Like, I do that from time to time. And I say, am I really a believer? It's a healthy thing. Not in a dysfunctional, anxiety-ridden moment by moment. Am I a believer? Am I a believer? No. But from time to time, a sober-minded, level-headed examination of, have I received Christ as Savior? It's like really healthy and important. Because the Holy Spirit will reveal to you. Like, try it. Romans chapter 8 says the Holy Spirit will speak to his children and affirm, I am in you. God is your Father. Well, just ask God. Just write in your mind. Just, God, does the Holy Spirit of God live in me? And often those who have Christ will have a sense of positivity, peace, or yes, or those kinds of things. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you. God's communicating with you. Learning to hear that voice is critical to being a follower of Christ. But there are people at each of our campuses online, you look like a believer and you are not. You look like a believer because you're there, you're hearing the word. But it's never brought forth life. Either you're blinded still, don't get it, or never surrendered, rejected it. I was talking to one of our leaders recently. There's a couple in our church with some kids, and they're a great family. They really are a great family. And I assumed both of them were believers because they're part of our church. They serve and those kind of things. And I was talking to one of our leaders. And the person said, yeah, I've been talking to him more in depth. I don't think one of them is actually a believer. I'm like, but I've never had that level of conversation with him. But I was stunned. I, I assume they were a believer. He just wondered, the way that spouse talks about Jesus or faith or their life, they look like a believer, but they are not. Is this you? Could you be a person who doesn't believe yet? You don't believe yet. Either you don't get it, or you never surrendered, you rejected it, but you can be hearing the word and not believer. There's a second type. I believe, but I won't suffer. The second type, I, that second type is the stony ground. I believe, but I won't suffer. 
So this is a real believer. Look, life is there. There's a real plant. It's a real believer. But this person has decided, I'm going to live a life of convenience and acceptance in our culture. Oh, I believe. But I am not going to be inconvenienced. My time is my time. Not if you're a believer. You lost all that. You receive Christ as Savior. It's his time. My money is my money. No, it's not. Your net worth is zero, last I checked. Zero. God owns everything. I believe, but I don't want to stick out. I'm not going to embarrass myself. I don't want to open my mouth for Jesus. I don't want to look like, you realize that the other people that are Christians saying crazy stuff? I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to blend in. I believe, but don't ask me to suffer. Shallow faith. When the heat comes on, it just kind of wilts. Jesus says that, by the way, next couple of verses in verse 20 and 21. says, but he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. They had legitimate joy in their salvation. Absolutely. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So the two scenarios Jesus points out here is tribulation and persecution. What is tribulation? You suffering for Jesus. When a person says, I feel like now I'm following Jesus and my life is harder. I don't want my life to be harder. I want it to be easier. Yet Jesus called us every day to pick up the cross and follow him. You only pick up the cross if you're willing to die on it. Paul wrote, I die daily. Well, I'm not going to have tribulation. I don't want suffering. I don't want inconvenience. This is mine, mine, mine. I believe. But don't ask me to suffer at all. How about persecution? I don't want to stick out. I don't want people to think I'm weird or one of those people. I'm going to kind of blend into the woodwork, not make waves, conflict avoidance, be just, be just kind of blend, where everybody thinks I'm just like everybody else. No persecution. I believe, but I will not suffer. Is this you, stony ground? That's the person who had the social media post and a really positive one, liked it. We got negativity. Oh, unlike it, delete it, blend back in. There's a third type, which is thorny ground. It's I believe, but I love the world though. <laughs> I love this temporary world and the pleasures that are here. Man. And those other priorities are choking the life out of you spiritually. You are a believer. But they're choking the spiritual life out of you. Jesus tells a story, verse 22. Matthew 13, verse 22 says this. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. They're a real believer. And the cares of this world, things that will not matter when you go to heaven. They don't matter. They're temporary. And the deceitfulness of riches. Riches trick you into thinking if you have more, you'll be happier. Your problem be fixed. If you have more, you'll be safer. No reason to fear the future. If you have more, you'll be more accepted by people. The deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And he becomes unfruitful. In another uh, capture of this parable of the sower mentioned three times, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one of them talks about the lusts of this world. Could this be you? You believe, oh, but there's certain things about this world you love, and it's choking the life out of you spiritually. 
Now, perhaps your sins, it's the more overt, unacceptable sins. Overeating, overdrinking, doing drugs on a regular basis, pornography, sexual activity outside of marriage. And those things are choking the life out of you. Thorns, spiritually. Maybe it's the acceptable sins in our culture. Our culture has acceptable sins. Competitiveness, individual, individ, being an individual, no one telling you what to do. Achievement, success, promotions, sales, money, winning, acceptable sins. And those things are temporary and choking the life out of you spiritually. Maybe you're a student and you have a friend or friend group that God absolutely calls you to love. Absolutely does. But in your mind, it's your friends are more important than God. Or that friend is more important than God. And that is choking the life out of you spiritually. Maybe you're a parent. And honestly, your number one priority, when people ask you, and you know in your heart, is your kids. Your kids are your number one priority, and that is idolatry. You are an idolater of your kids. You're a kidolater. And in your kidolatry, how do you know? Well, you place the educational development of your kids over their spiritual development. How do you know that? Because you worry more about their grades and getting to the next level and college and testing. You worry and pray about that much more than, what are my kids doing with the word? Is their heart open to God? Where are they going spiritually? Kidolatry. You're placing the uh, musical achievements or drama achievements or athletic achievements with the competitions and lessons and leagues and those kind of things. And you think much more about that than their spiritual life and growth and them making disciples one of these days. Could it be that you're choking the life out of your kids and yourselves spiritually? Thorns. Is this you? I believe. But there's some things about this world I love. Maybe you're the fruitful ground. This is fruit ground. I believe and I surrender to Jesus. And in an earlier version of this phrasing, I had the past tense. I believe and I've surrendered to Jesus, which is certainly true. But surrender is not a one-time and you're done. Like Paul said, as I said, I die daily. Jesus says, pick up your cross every day, every morning, and follow me. Surrender is a daily sacrifice you make of saying, I'm not mine. Because this, this is the situation. This person has real life, and they have surrendered to suffering with Jesus. They have depth. They have surrendered this world's pleasures to Jesus. That's what he says over in Matthew 13, 23. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word, just like the number two and three, and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Quick side note, back in 2016, we announced, it was our 20th anniversary, that we were praying about God raising up and sending out over 20 years up to 100 foreign missionaries on the foreign field, up to 100 church planters domestically, campuses, and people have wondered, so are we are like slavishly trying to follow to 100 over 20 years? No. This verse impacted me. Like, okay, you get 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. Why would you not ask God for 100? So, so right now, as of three years into it, in the pipeline are sent out. We're about 10 right now in the pipeline are sent out, 10 out of that 100. But if it stops at 10, I'm fine with that because last time I checked, 10 is more than zero. 
And new campuses and sites are better at making new disciples. They are. So that's a side note on kind of our church planting vision and sending. Let's bring it back to us, though. Fruit. Do you sense fruit in you and around you? Because what Jesus says is if you could actually have life and have depth, for, for willing to suffer, and you aggressively partner with the Holy Spirit to take the weed whacker of heaven and tear those thorny things, choking life out of your life, only God can do it, but you're aggressively partnering with him, then you're going to bear fruit. And how much is le- actually less relevant? Whether it's 30, 60, or 100, that's awesome. That is fruit. What is fruit? Three things are fruit. You can jot these down. The first thing in Scripture that's fruit is your internal world being changed. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Do you sense in you fruit? The good ground. Your soul's controlled by peace. <sighs> You're at peace. It's not based on your circumstances. You're at peace. Love, joy. You have joy in you that's not yours. Love in you that's not yours. Do you sense the fruit of the good ground being surrendered daily to Jesus? Internal, that's one type of fruit. The second type of fruit is disciple making. When when you're making disciples, other people are your fruit. Uh, So when you serve in Grace Kids or Grace Students or our special needs ministry, when you serve with our adults and our short-term Bible studies or our Grace Groups, when you serve with our local outreaches, making disciples there, when you serve in your school or work or community and you're making disciples there, those people are your fruit. Do you sense people around you being positively impacted for Jesus because you interact with them? Those people are your fruit. The third type, so it's internal, people, and your generosity. Paul, when he's writing a church, he says, thank you for your generous gift. That gift, you, financial gift you gave is fruit that abounds to your heavenly account. And whether that is your time, when you give your time as an offering, and it hurts because you could do other things that time, and it's clogging, but you're giving it as a sacrifice for following the Lord Jesus. When you give up your resources and it hurts, that is fruit. Do you sense an internal world that's controlled by the Holy Spirit, other people being impacted, and growing levels of generosity with your time and money, which is not yours anyway? So, here's our four scenarios. Which one are you? And once more, ask the Holy Spirit of God, which one are my, my person who does, doesn't believe yet? Like I look inside, I don't, I don't know if I have Christ as Savior. And in just a moment, when Justin is here on South Oakport campus and online, he's going to lead you through a prayer, a sample prayer. I beg you, if, if there's a chance there's no life in you, receive Christ today as Savior. Maybe this is you. I believe, but I will not suffer. I don't like inconvenience. I don't like suffering. I don't like sticking out. God call, the solution there is God calls you to pick up your cross and follow him. He suffered and died for us and calls for us to have a little teeny tiny dose every day of not living for ourselves as we follow him. I'm willing to pick up the cross, Lord. My life is not my own. I believe, but I love the world. There are some thorn bushes to be taken out. Only the Holy Spirit can take those out. But he calls on you to have faith and aggressively partner with the weed whacker of heaven and rip those things out by the roots because they are choking the life out of you. And if that happens, you'll have fruit. But if you surrender today, tomorrow, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. It's every day. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would move. I pray for uh, the Holy Spirit of God would speak to each one of us which one we are. 
where we're at right now and the step you want us to take in response to your Holy Spirit's speaking to us. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com.